welcome to Straight Talk Live. My name is Rick Snyder. I'm one of the co-hosts of this fantastic show. Where it's a not-for-profit where we explore human transformation, digital transformation, and social impact. And very excited to have you with us today. We have a very special guest in a very special time in the world where there's a lot of unknown in the space. So first, I want to kick it off to my co-host, Af Maholtra. Af, take it away. Thank you, Rick. Welcome, everyone, for another fantastic Straight Talk Live session. I'm, uh, of course, the co-host of uh, Straight Talk Live, but also the co-founder of Growth Enabler. Delighted to have uh, a fantastic repeat guest, in fact, on our show. Um, and let's crack on, as I say, because there's a lot to talk about and uh, what a fantastic, uh, our timing is brilliant because of what's going on around the world, especially in the US with the election. So a befriending uncertainty. Rick, over to you. Let's introduce our guest and um, move forward with the conversation. So ladies and gentlemen, we have a special return guest, Charles Eisenstein. Um, as you all know, um, he's author, speaker, philosopher, and an extraordinary thought leader. And so glad to have you back, Charles. Thanks for being on our show, Straight Talk Live. Yeah, good to be back, Rick. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. Loving your sweater, loving the background. We're going to get cracking here. <laughs> so what, I want, what we're exploring today is really this idea around the unknown and how do we actually befriend uncertainty and how challenging that is. And, and maybe that's just a place we can start if just even presencing what's happening in the space right now where we have an election, we don't know who the president is, there's a lot of anxiety in the space, and people have really interesting ways of relating to that anxiety. Um, what are you seeing and sensing, and how does this line up with um, just your own experience of being leading in times of, un of the uncertainty and of no unknown, and just what are you picking up on in, as far as that goes? Well, um you know, I was, I was, I was, I was always preparing or, you know, just mentally preparing for our conversation today uh, and the topic of uncertainty. I was like, wow, I don't really know what I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, so that in itself is, is a kind of uncertainty. Um, and, and, you know, like a lot of people want to know what I think about the election. Um, as 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 if I could provide some relief mm. from some aspect of the uncertainty. Mm -hmm. But why do you think that I know anything more than anybody else does? So yeah, um, so the topic of uncertainty, because because right now, um, you know, I could uh, pontificate about what's going to happen in coming months or years, mm -hmm. but I honestly don't really know. There are some things, however, that. Uh, I feel fairly certain about uh, that you're probably would you would, pr would probably recognize as certain too. For example, that the American public is intensely polarized and divided. Um, that there was no clear, overwhelming um, mandate for either candidate. Uh, that mm -hmm. there is a profound level of distrust in our civic space, hmm. um, that uh, basic agreements are breaking down mm -hmm. um, among um, Americans. Uh, my wife uh, posted something on a local Facebook group that was just like the most loving thing, you know, it was, um, and, and 
the first comment was like, how dare you post such a hateful message on our local group? Like it was like, wow. like night is day, black is white kind of thing. Uh, where, and, and another, another uh, friend of mine posted something basically along the lines of, you know, let's remember our common humanity, no matter who you vote for, you are worthy of love, et cetera. And the comments were just like overwhelmingly vitriolic and negative. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, because how could you uh, uh, enable the other side by saying that you love them anyway, you know, like, and both sides piling on. Mm. So this is something that in a sense is a, it's not a very comforting certainty, but it's uh, something that's true Um, Mm -hmm. right now in, in my experience and probably a lot of people's experience that then it's, that's actually, I would call it an uncomfortable certainty. Hmm. We Hmm. talk about uncertainty being comfortable, but what are the things that, that we know that we don't want to look at? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, perhaps because those things that we know then generate even greater uncertainty. Sometimes it's more comfortable not to know, mm-hmm. but what do we actually know? And and this is the this is really the question that the topic of uncertainty wants to get to. It is, what do we know, and what do we think that we know, or what do we believe that we don't actually know, and how do you tell the difference? Mm. Mm. So in other, in other words, if I've got this right, there was this concept of the known knowns, known unknowns, unknown unknowns. So what you're saying is actually the known knowns is a source of uncertainty because you, you're so uncomfortable with knowing that this is probably going to be the, the, the new architecture or the new way of living. As, as the example you shared with, you know, your partner posting something on Facebook and that sort of the vile comments coming in, the hatred coming through from something which actually is a very, um, uh, you know, uh, a, a message of love, a message of unity or solidarity, which has been poo-pooed or discarded um, yeah. by the divided nature of society we live in. And I, that, by the way, it's not just, it's just, it's not just about the United States. I mean, I'm sitting here in the United Kingdom. You look at countries like India um, and and other places in the world. This division in in society, um, the two camps, is is prominent and prevalent all over, um, which is creating uncertainty in our personal lives with our friendships with uh, people have du- people who have dual opinions or the sort of uh, divided opinions about something that should be way more uh, unified or universal and i guess what you're saying is that uncertainty um is carrying through because you know a lot of straight talk.live is about leadership a lot of what we're saying is about leadership either either leadership in your life with your family as an individual and or in your work because your mindset and your sentiment is affected right back into the job that you do. So talk us through a little bit of that. What, what, what are you seeing? What are, the, what are the things that you think we need to be aware of given where we all are um, with this divided world that we live in today? Yeah, uh, so I, I wanna say that, that um, I, I, will, I will talk about leadership in a second here, but I, I wanna say that not to oversimplify things. Like I can see the viewpoint of those who say, oh, messages of love are actually part of the problem right now because 
they are short-circuiting a necessary inquiry into, say, white supremacy, racism, mm -hmm. uh, patriarchy, um, you know, all of these toxic political trends. And instead of talking about those, you're going to you're going to bypass that whole conversation and talk about mm -hmm. love. Well, that's very easy for you mm -hmm. as a white privileged male to do. But, you know, let's not divert ourselves from this necessary inquiry mm -hmm. so that I can see the the um, point of that criticism. Um, however, I'm not actually saying that we should avoid these topics. Mm -hmm. But can we enter into this kind of conversation with love, with compassion, with a willingness to understand where is the other side coming from and what is it like to be them, rather than simply to go to war against them as if they were an irremediable evil. So, so, so this, is, this is where I'm coming from. And this does actually bring up the topic of leadership because to do that in these times is a uh, necessary and and i would say even a brave form of leadership mm -hmm. because what the is to choose one sides and to become a quote leader on that side to become uh, especially militant, especially devastating in your attacks and your takedowns. And mm -hmm. you can look at the headlines, whether it's the right or the left media, the kind of headline is, you know, so-and-so schools, so-and-so, so-and-so mm -hmm. rips, so-and-so, so-and-so crushes, so-and-so. Like that's the kind of headline that we see. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems like those are the leaders, the people who are doing that very effectively mm -hmm. are the leaders. However, that is not actually leadership. Leadership brings, leadership is the holding of a new vision and the invitation of other people into that vision. Yeah. So a leader, you could, you could translate this into a business setting where you have a vision of uh, the entrepreneur has a vision mm -hmm. of what could be that does not yet exist. Mm -hmm. And as long as that entrepreneur is only operating in his or her own mind, then nothing happens in the world. But if they're able to hold that vision and transmit it to others and invite others into mm -hmm. that vision and effectively mm -hmm. show them what, what they themselves have seen, then you're seeing the development of leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, and then to continue holding that vision as it is questioned, as it is assaulted, uh, by inner and outer forces. So like the inner forces are the forces of doubt. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, come on, is that, could that really happen? That's impossible. You're being naive. You're being irresponsible. That's never been done before. If it were such a good idea, somebody else would have done it. Like those kinds of doubts, which then get mixed in with the valid doubts. Um, because maybe you've, you're trying to uh, implement that vision in a way that's not practical. And this part of you is like, hold on, that's not going to work. This isn't how mm -hmm. you should do it. And, yeah. oh no, I must not have doubts. So I'm going to crush that, that protest. So this is a, a path of, of um, inner introspection. And mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of inner work that goes to here to, to distinguish what is um, merely an assault on mm -hmm. an authentic vision and what is your process mm -hmm. of coming into 
more uh, uh, higher fidelity alignment with that vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so yeah, that, that's the business application of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we can also talk about a new vision for society, a new vision in the political realm, something that almost <clears throat> by definition starts out as being unpopular or starts out as being, mm-hmm. it's a new thing. Yeah. So it's not going to easily conform to side A or side B. That is the kind of leadership that we need right now. Mm-hmm. Because, sorry, can I say one more little thing? Please, please. Because yeah, 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 go ahead. If your strategy and prescription for a healed society is that side A, the side that you're on, which is the good side, finally defeats, overwhelms and dominates side B and wins the war, I'm afraid that the future is going to be a future of endless war. And this is what the election results are showing us. Mm-hmm. There is no dominating, convincing victory for either side. That, and, and the results are showing us through the uncertainty, they're showing us that we need another way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like how you're interpreting the results that way. There's not a clear yes um, from the population right now. And what you're having me think about really quick in the uh, frame of business leadership, you know, I'm really seeing this shift happening the last 20 years or so, but even more pronounced now where there's, there's the old command and control style of leadership where there's no room for, um, uncertainty. There's, it, it, it looks, it looks weak. There's no room for vulnerability. There's no room for, you have to know the answer and double down on the answer and be that certain and be that assertive. And then this other form of leadership that's been creeping up uh, and spreading uh, like wildfire is more that servant leadership where you're really supporting and removing obstacles of those around you and actually listening and asking questions and being more of that mentor and sitting back a bit more at times um, and, and how that actually empowers people to come forward into their leader as well. And so um, it's just amazing to see in the business space that I'm seeing with hardcore executives, whether they're engineers or whatever they might be, um, they're allowing they're starting to allow more and more room for uncertainty and vulnerability and things like that than I've ever seen before. Yeah, right. And, and that, again, it's important to distinguish what is genuine uncertainty and what is pretend uncertainty when you actually do have clarity on something, but mm. you don't want to seem like you're uh, dominating others or being unreasonable or being patriarchal or hierarchical. So mm-hmm. you make a show of gathering other opinions, mm. but where's the real power? Mm-hmm. Who's actually in charge? So yeah. I think it's also important to take ownership mm-hmm. of leadership mm-hmm. um, and and to make power explicit. Um, so it's really, it comes down to not pretending, not mm-hmm. pretending to know when you don't actually know Mm-hmm. And not pretending to not know when you actually do know. There is this. There is this point that I'd love you to add some color to around the dichotomy, um, at least in the minds of a lot of leaders, around courageous leadership or brave leadership. Which is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the bull by the horns, and I'm gonna go into this this world of uncertainty. Let's do it together. Yeah, let's imagine that's the courageous leader. But the courageous leader also has a question mark around whether they should show vulnerability. Because, of course, the, the citizens of the company or the cause are looking up to the leader to say, 
maybe you'll find a route or a pathway, or maybe you can see something with your powerful vision that we can't. It couldn't, I'm not talking about one person, it could be a cohort of the entire leadership team of a company. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, or what are you observing as being sort of the balance between someone saying, I'm gonna stand up, let, let, I'm gonna give you a, a very transactional example. A large company is not doing very well with sales. The numbers are terrible this year for all the reasons we know. And new things need to happen. New products need to be created. New revenue styles or mixes need to come in. You almost have to do things you've never done before, which is breaking the mold of yesterday or the legacy of yesterday. Now, let's imagine the leader has the courage to say, yep, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take, take the team with me. What, do you, what is your view on, and by the way, this is a real example of my conversations with numerous executives who don't want to say this in public, cannot say it in public, but we are the mouthpiece, which is how do I balance courage with demonstrating and showing vulnerability and saying, I don't know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so for one thing, um, there's a wisdom in not making yourself vulnerable to people who are actively trying to hurt you. Mm -hmm. You know, the ideal is not to be as vulnerable as possible to everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, that said, in our times, and I think this is probably always true, <clears throat> um, in the long run, if you pretend um, to, to know things you don't know, or you pretend things are better than they are, and everybody kind of already knows that they're not, or if you try to hide your falling sales numbers behind bravado and false confidence, <clears throat> ultimately you're gonna lose people's trust. Hmm. What helps, <clears throat> what, what builds trust is when you say something, when you say a truth that no one else is willing to say. Hmm. And you say, hey, um, yeah, our sales are terrible. Mm -hmm. And um, hmm. uh, here's why I think it is. Uh, and, and to, because if you're honest about that, then you establish a reputation of honesty so that when you are confident about something, then people will believe that as well. Mm -hmm. So mm. when you, so or another way to put it is when you don't pretend to know when you say, honestly, like it could be, yeah, sales are falling and I have no idea what to do about it. And I've listened mm -hmm. to many opinions and none of them seem to, 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 to work. Uh, that um, can build a uh, uh, precedent for when you say, ah, actually, here's what we should do. I know what to do. Then people know that, that you are, um, you know, you haven't been pretending that you know before. So now when you say that you know, maybe you really do know. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, it's, it's the, it's, it's, it's kind of contrary to what we have learned in school, which is that, uh, you know, to get credit for the right answer. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. therefore, you know, we, we are trained to look as if we always have the right answer. Correct. Mm -hmm. yep. Absolutely. But I would trust somebody a lot more if they came up with the wrong answer and recognized it, or when they didn't have the right answer said that they didn't know. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. then, then I know that this person is capable of um, 
kind of at a loss for words here. I mean, I just, I think I already said it, uh, that, that this is a person who's not pretending, mm-hmm. not pretending you, to know. Yeah. Do you think, do you think, and that's, a, that's fantastically answered, in, what you're basically saying is be, show vulnerability, but be cautious about who you're vulnerable to. So that's about understanding your landscape and understanding people. It's not a carte blanche, well, I'm just vulnerable. I'll be vulnerable with anyone I engage with because you don't know who your haters or dismantlers are. Vulnerability is not a strategy. Vulnerability Mm -hmm. is a consequence of speaking speaking Mm. an uncomfortable truth. Mm. Yeah. You know, there's one thing that we talked about in the pre-call that really excited me around the media. And we had talked about how the media... You know, and we can see it happening right now. Everyone's jockeying for the narrative and trying to control the narrative. And we see that in every country, every, you know, that's what's happening around the world and how powerful the media has become and how much influence it has. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious what you have to say about that around just narrating, you know, what's true, what's not true in the political, in the civic space. Um, yeah. I'd love to hear your perspective on this that. This is actually a very similar issue. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, just like the uh, the PR person or the CEO who spins everything uh, to make their company look good and uh, suppresses any news that'll make them look bad. Like when they do come up with good news, you're not going to trust them. You're going to be like, okay, you know, what selective data is that based on and what hype mm-hmm. and what spin are they exercising upon the public? So the same thing with the news. When you have the left and the right controlling narratives, uh, suppressing information, um, censoring things that, that don't agree with, with their agenda, uh, even if it's true. Mm-hmm. Like there was something that came up around the Hunter Biden stuff uh, where one pundit uh, on, on the left said, look, this, isn't, this probably is not actually Russian disinformation, but we should treat it as if it is. Because, so it's like, who would I trust? I would trust somebody who, who says, like, say they are pro-Trump, mm-hmm. who says, wow, Trump did this thing and it's really bad and it's totally unjustified. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when, you know, I'm not going to, to try to elevate him as this uh, perfect being, mm-hmm. this infallible leader, uh, but I'm going to honestly look at what's good and what's bad, what's true and what's false and go, go through this process. And at the end, then I come out and support Donald Trump. I'm going to trust that person a lot more. Mm-hmm. Same thing on the other side. Same thing as someone says, yeah, actually, uh, you know, what uh, Biden did with Ukraine was totally, uh, totally, um, you know, corrupt. Uh, and I still support him for this reason. Like somebody who's willing mm-hmm. to take in the full mm-hmm. set of data and not filter it out according to what end it serves. That would be refreshing in the current political landscape. But now if you point out something good about Donald Trump, I mean, I like to say, you know, uh, 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 even a stopped clock is right twice a day, um, which is a, a bit mm-hmm. of an uh, exaggeration of the case. But, but just saying, like, if I point out like anything redeeming about Donald Trump, even if it's true, then all of a sudden I'm the enemy. Mm-hmm. Or on the other side, if I point right. out, you know, something bad about Donald Trump, I'm like, like, you know, guys, like he just uh, authorized the building of 
of logging roads in the Tongass National Forest, uh, which is going to devastate this precious ecosystem. It's like, oh, you know, you must be a Biden supporter. Hmm. Um, I'm like, can we serve the truth instead of serving mm -hmm. who wins mm -hmm. and subverting the truth and denying the truth for some other agenda? If you do that and you develop a habit of that, then ultimately you end up living in a, in a delusion mm -hmm. and you become unable to see reality because you're filtering out the parts of reality that are inconvenient. Mm -hmm. This is a recipe for disaster politically, and it's especially a recipe for disaster in commerce. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not seeing something important about the market or about the economic environment because it's not convenient, then ultimately that which is denied, that which is suppressed, is going to come roaring back mm -hmm. into your awareness in a very painful way. And this is what's been happening politically in this country. What has the, the, um, the, the growing misery and poverty and um, despair, uh, the, the breakdown of our social contract, the loss of meaning and identity that comes from the breakdown of the overarching story of civilization and development and progress. Um, this is in the form of uh, Donald Trump and QAnon and these conspiracy theories. It is uh, roaring back to to bite us. Um, Hmm. Yeah. We we have we have a couple of questions. Thank you, Charles. We have a couple of questions uh, that we should ask, not wait for the last fifteen minutes because they're pertinent. Um, one of the questions um, from Fatima Zara is, um, I guess I'm reading it verbatim. I guess a barrier to conversation is the uncertainty of the outcome of the conversation. How can we overcome that? A real conversation has uncertainty built into it. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you're, yep. if you're, if you're, if you are willing to let the conversation go to a place that you are not, you, that you can't predict or plan or control from the outset, then you're actually in a real conversation. Mm -hmm. If you step into a conversation with a solid agenda of where the conversation is going to go, and I'm going to convince them of this, and I'm going to achieve this goal. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you can call that a conversation, but it's more of a uh, of a, of a fight, really, mm -hmm. uh, a debate, a battle. Mm -hmm. Um, if you are absolutely infallible and certain about everything, then why would you want to enter an open-ended conversation that could take you beyond what you already know? Cause you already know it all. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so yeah, we need that kind of conversation where people step mm -hmm. in saying, you know, maybe there's something I don't know. Maybe mm -hmm. there's something I'm wrong about. And mm -hmm. through truly listening to you, I can learn what that is and I can mm -hmm. expand who I am. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of Susan Campbell's research. I don't know if you've ever looked into her, but she basically boils down communication and she says all communication either boils down into, are we trying to control or are we trying to relate? Mm -hmm. And she says 95% of the time by statistics, we're actually trying to control. Like what I want you yes. to think about me or how I might do it subtly or overtly or whatever it might look like versus actually being curious and being open and not having that agenda and just trying to relate has me think about that somehow. Right. 
And a lot of conversations are also a, a display of dominance or submission. Mm. Like there's something, uh, you know, of our primate nature that's going on in a lot of conversations. So. <clears throat> can I can I um, take the conversation in the direction of um, the participants who um, are the perpetrators or the catalysts of uncertainty and who, who destroy the social contract now? We've named a few people today, um, and that has its own ramifications in terms of what is seen as being legitimate. If the leader of a country or a company, for that matter, is behaving in an authoritarian way or in a way that is not, um, um, you know, supporting the social contract or about love or consideration or care, whatever the words may be, you tend to think to some extent that's acceptable. And maybe that over a period of time, not straight away, but over a few terms, maybe a decade or so, has an effect on the mindset of the next generation where they, where they think that leadership style is acceptable. Maybe that's what, what it should be, black or white. Um, that's the way it is. And that is a little bit worrying. And I, right now it feels like the people who are championing this um, agenda are slightly older. It's a certain demographic. Uh, I'm generalizing, but a certain demographic. We have at Straight Talks Live, we have a lot of faith and trust and uh, hope, hope in the younger generation. We really feel that the leaders of tomorrow could be the new Mavericks. Uh, we, heck, we built a Maverick leadership program on the back of this where we're taking a lot of these fantastic insights you're giving us, Charles, and many others, and we're turning them into personalized learning. So young people or people who are in their postgraduates or MBAs who are going to be the leaders of tomorrow, look at this and inform themselves of alternative ways of existence, be it in business or their personal lives. Tell us a little bit about um, how how you look at um, uns so uncertainty on young people. Are they school of thought one? Are they already burdened with it to such an extent because they've grown up in this super uncertain environment, recessions, crises, pandemics? Um, have they has that been uh, has that allowed them to make friends with uncertainty, befriend it? Because they're like, I've had so much of it, I've become used to it. Or has that been a plague? Has that decayed um, their mental makeup? Has that been a disadvantage for them? What 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 are you seeing in your um, books, in your research, in your findings? Um, and how do the how do the young generation play a role here for a better future? Just thinking ahead. Yeah. Well, in our uh, educational system, we have a lot of training for authoritarianism. Uh, we are rewarded mm -hmm. for producing the answers that are validated by the teachers and by our society's systems of knowledge production and knowledge maintenance called science, um, mm. called history, philosophy, journalism. Um, and, and, you know, you do well in school if you can parrot those answers, mm -hmm. if you can uh, display the uh opinions and paradigms that you are told are true. Well, today, a lot of the basic beliefs, the basic paradigms that we are told by authority are true, are no longer serving us. And young people especially have, it's hopefully okay to say the word bullshit meter, but they mm -hmm. have um, uh, an inner recognition mm -hmm. of uh, what is inauthentic, or uh, what is fake, um, what does not uh, feel true to them, 
even if they may not be able to muster an intellectual uh, repudiation of what they're being told, like on some level, um, they're, they're, who they have been born into in our time is incompatible with what they're being told is true of the world and true of life. Mm -hmm. So this letting go of the certainties that have been foisted upon them by the older generation, it necessarily involves a process of uncertainty. So at this stage of development, uncertainty is, is um, I would even say sacred. It's precious. Uh, and yes, it's scary, but um, it's the only way from the old obsolete certainties and ways of seeing and ways of being and ways of living a life into something new. The, the, one of the pitfalls that can arise though uh, is that one becomes so comfortable in uncertainty and even to the extreme of nihilism and a lot of people also go mm -hmm. into this mm -hmm. um, that they uh, do not cultivate the ability of recognizing what they actually are certain certain about, what actually is uh, authentic knowledge, uh, and then to stand by that. When because in in a time when you're being lied to, it is a virtue to question everything, to doubt everything, to be skeptical of everything, to 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 uh, for for your default response to be doubt, mm -hmm. uh, to distrust authority. When authority mm -hmm. is lying to you, distrust of authority is good. Mm. Someday though, if we're gonna have a um, harmonious society, we're gonna have to live in a world where it's actually a virtue to listen to authority because our authorities have earned our trust. Mm -hmm. they, yeah. are, they are trustworthy, they are wise. We're not at that place yet, mm -hmm. but there are nonetheless uh, sources of wisdom, inner and outer, that we can begin to learn to trust. And, and that is, I think for a lot of young people, um, if, if you are, um, I guess I'm speaking now to young people, if you are gonna be the nucleus of a new world, hmm. um, you have to start believing in something. And I'm not gonna tell you what that is, and it's probably nothing that is offered to you by either side of the political spectrum. And I'm not saying that both sides are equal mm -hmm. or that, that um, there's nothing of value in one side or another, but the, they are nonetheless both um, articulations of an old story that we are um, wanting now to transcend. Mm. So you're going to have to find a source of truth that is not already formulated by, at least by the mainstream institutions of our culture. Mm. That brings us, thank you for that. That brings us to a very, very compelling question, um, an important thread about young people again. Um, if, I can, if I can name the person, Celine, who, is, who teaches, she says, I teach sciences at Cambridge University. I wonder how we could incorporate the concept of uncertainty in teaching the new generation, given that we come from the conditioning 
of of certainty. Um, so, in, you know, I think what she's trying to say is how do we at grassroots level teach young people to become comfortable in uncomfortable situations, to make friends with uncertainty, or understand the concept or the origins of it, much, much like what we are doing today on Straight Talks Out Live. So mm. thoughts on that? Is there, a, is there a way to do it? I mean, I have some thoughts, but what, mm. what, what are your, what, what is your thinking? How can education change to be a, an enabler here in the grand scheme of things? Yeah. Ironically, science is um, supposed to come from a kind of radical uncertainty mm-hmm. or a radical humility mm-hmm. that says, uh, we don't know, so we're going to ask. And an experiment is a way of asking. We're going we're gonna to see what reality says. Mm-hmm. Uh, that impulse, it's a, it's a beautiful impulse. It's the core of what I call the religion of science. It's the core... Um, spiritual principle underneath science, Mm. the principle of humility, Mm. of uncertainty. However, the the institutions of science have become quite the opposite of of humble. They've become very arrogant, partly because of the, the questions that they choose to ask and the questions that they choose not to ask and the institutional confirmation bias that tends to preserve existing paradigms. So I think to um, bring this uh, comfort with uncertainty into uh, education, especially scientific education, uh, even as just an exercise uh, to uh, first identify what questions are verboten, what questions are are uh, just never being asked. And then to ask those kinds of questions, to do those kinds of experiments, to do the kinds of experiments that Rupert Sheldrake does. Uh, you know, like even to ask the question, um, can people sense when they're being stared at, even when there's no uh, physical explanation or at least uh, conventional physical explanation that is ascribable to the four fundamental forces of nature, uh, can they still sense that they're being stared at? This is, even to ask that question is already uh, heresy, Mm. Um, much less to to come up with uh, an answer that, uh, an answer of yes, like even to ask that question. Mm. So this is the scientific version of how do you know that what you believe is true? How, are you will- how much are you willing to question what you think you know, what you think is already established fact? Politically, we, somebody is going to have to do an awful lot of questioning of what they think they know, of what they think is established fact. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, even if one side is totally right and the other side is totally wrong, well, how is the totally wrong side going to ever change their beliefs if they have a reality filter that only lets in data that justifies their beliefs mm-hmm. and they're never willing to step into the other person's camp? So we need to establish the principle of stepping into the other person's camp. Mm-hmm. Even if you end up saying, yeah, um, I think I was right to begin with. Uh, I think that you know the earth actually is round uh, and that the earth goes around the sun and it spins on its axis. Okay, but I went into the flat earth camp uh, and took its best arguments and mm-hmm. and sat in their seat and looked at the world. Like you may not 
end up believing every heresy that you investigate, but to establish the principle, not of investigating every single one, like I'm not telling people here to go out and investigate flat earth conspiracies, okay? Um, but you could choose that one, or you could choose um, vaccine skepticism, or you could choose uh, you know, new world order conspiracy theories, or you could choose um, bioterrain theory as uh, a, a full or partial explanation for COVID-19, or you could choose, I mean, there's any number of, of topics that you could go into, uh, electric universe theories, um, you know, uh, 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 herbal treatments for cancer, what, whatever it is, you can go into heretical territory mm -hmm. And at least in one topic or a few topics and make this a practice. So I think in education, this would be very useful. It'd be to say, okay, let's try some radical uncertainty here and visit the uh, visit some heterodox territory and practice that skill and set the example for doing that. Because if I can do it, then maybe my opponents will do it too. Maybe I'm, we can invite each other into mm -hmm. this uncertainty where, because, you know, actually, I don't think that there is one side that has the full truth in any topic. Mm. Yeah. And if we're absolutely. ever going to move right. as a collective more toward the truth, we're going to have to let go of being right. We're mm -hmm. going to have to develop critical thinking skills. We're going to have to develop humility. Um, and then we can actually progress as a species. I, that, that's a wonderful way of looking at it. The only bit I would add to that for the person who questioned Celine at, at Cambridge, um, I do think over and above what Charles just said, which is um, pertinent, the practic one of the practical things one should be doing at university is inviting in, in the, much like straighttalk.live, but going beyond that, inviting in individuals who are known to practice uncertainty. Entrepreneurs are a damn good example of those uh, individuals who have probably got a lot of scars, They've, they they keep embracing, um, you know, chaos, and eventually they they realize their dreams, if at all. And that is, it's almost a practice. Once you've get, you know, once you get knocked around quite a lot, and you're able to get up again and again, you build what I call mental resilience. And I've had to do it myself in my own personal life. And it's a pathway that you have to be on. Unfortunately, um, that, um, it's not a strategy, but those experiences are not shared in a practical way with the generation of tomorrow at university. University is sort of the standard. You do your modules, have the teacher, and the, and the teacher, with the greatest respect to all lecturers, uh, like any CEO, cannot, cannot know everything um, and can only impart so much knowledge and wisdom and life experience within the confines of that course. And I think the more we bring in Call them mavericks, if you wish. Uh, the more a Charles Eisenstein turns up at the, at the door of a university to talk about something totally out there um, related to how you can cope with uncertainty, the more um, we have such people participating in the education system, I think the greater the chance we're going to see students look up to um, possibilities. But I, Because I just don't think there are enough role models who practice uncertainty. All of the role models are certain. I'm the CEO of a company. I'll come and talk to you. Mm -hmm. This is my pathway. I became VP, GVP, SVP. I went to Harvard. That's the pathway, at least in my generation, in the early 40s. That's what we've been taught. And you hardly find people who are able to break those shackles because you just don't know any other way. 
And I think what you're saying and what we're saying today is that there is a there has to be a new way because the new world order is is uh, compelling you to accept uncertainty because that's what's going on around us from the politics to society to benefit systems to education. So that's the only bit I would add, Celine, is get more people into your into your education system into the course who can um, share their live experiences and ones that can help people think about uncertainty differently. Um, I want to uh, uh, shift here to there's a relationship between safety and risk and certainty and uncertainty in the sense that Matt uh, Kreinheider, who's listening to us right now on Facebook, he has a great observation. He says the ability to be with uncertainty is the natural extension of having a safe foundation in other areas of life. It's hard for younger people to be with uncertainty today because too many other areas of life are wildly malleable, unpredictable, and they are under constantly perceived threat. Curious your perspective on that, Charles, on that relationship. Yeah. I mean, that's a good insight, you know. Um, so w w when we are presented with uh, an attractive principle or a virtue, like being comfortable with uncertainty, our habit uh, very often is to uh, aspire to achieve that, to fit that into mm -hmm. an achievement mindset. But our personal growth fundamentally is not an achievement hmm. any more than the growth of a, of a baby into a child is that child's achievement. It's actually more of the parent's achievement for you know, taking care of him and feeding him. Um, so, so this is a really important issue then to look at, okay, if we, if it's important for us to become comfortable with uncertainty, where does that ability come from? Mm. And what this comment is pointing to is, yeah, like maybe it comes from, uh, how stable your relationships are, how, or how deep your relationships are, mm. uh, to, to your family, to a community to a place to, because if you feel secure and you have a solid foundation and you know that you are loved and you know that you are accepted uh, and you know through experience that you will continue to be loved even if you make mistakes, mm -hmm. then you're gonna be a lot more comfortable with uncertainty. Mm -hmm. So if somebody is uncomfortable with uncertainty, instead of exhorting them to become more comfortable, which is really a recipe for failure, Instead, we could ask, how can I make them more comfortable? How can I contribute to the conditions that make them more comfortable? What are the conditions that make them uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, maybe one of the core conditions is the uh, experience of being alone, mm -hmm. the experience of separation, isolation, loneliness, of not being heard, not being understood. Um, uh, being judged. So, I mean, this is true for me, you know, when, when I am under attack, uh, I will, uh, and when my correctness is what is going to keep me safe from these attacks, then I'm not gonna very easily admit that I was wrong about something. I'm not gonna mm -hmm. step into the territory of uncertainty. I'm going to present a facade of certainty, mm -hmm. not just to the world, but to myself. But if I'm in an environment where 
where it's obvious that I'm loved and accepted and it's okay to be wrong. And we're all kind of human here together. And mm -hmm. I'm seeing other people mm -hmm. demonstrate uh, their own uncertainty. And when they do so, seeing the rest of the community continue to love them, mm. then that scared little part of me is like, okay, maybe I can venture into this uncertain territory too. Mm. So in a way, the, the current... Um, uh, polarization of society uh, and and uh, pretense of certainty and the shutting out of uh, contradictory viewpoints, all of this is a symptom of a breakdown in our belonging, mm. our uh, relation, relational identity, um, our, our connection uh, to each other. And, and to place and, and to all of the things that make a human being whole. Mm. Yeah. It's not just some like small mm. thing that we could, we can tweak here. I really like that point. And I think this is a good note to, as we're winding down our last 10 minutes here, uh, Chandras is asking this similar question around how do we actually create uh, more collaborative spaces, whether that's across political lines cross parties for the betterment of society, whatever domain we're talking about, business, doesn't matter, science, it could be any any category. But how do we actually create more of those collaborative spaces given this polarization effect that's been happening? Uh, do you have any practical guidance or experiences that you can point to? Yeah, I mean, there's like on a very practical level, there's a lot of people who um, are have way more expertise than I do in how to actually implement the kind of things I'm talking about, you know, mm -hmm. there's, there's circle processes, there's, mm -hmm. uh, social technologies that there's, um, empathy circles, there's, you know, truth and reconciliation committees. There's all the, all of these technologies, uh, nonviolent communication practices. I mean, there's just so much that people have developed, um, to bring into practice the underlying ideal uh, which is respect, uh, rehumanization of each other, uh, release of judgment, uh, because we have habits of disrespect. We have habits of dehumanization. We have habits of judgment. And these habits may be invisible to us, but if you have a group that is committed to reversing those habits, mm. then uh, the invisible comes to light and, and we have... Um, the possibility of interacting in a different way. Uh, but underneath all of those practices is an understanding uh, and an ideal and a commitment to change. Um, and I think also um, another, another indispensable factor is that the group has to have something that it believes in and the individuals in the group have to have to be in coherent belief and commitment to something beyond themselves. Mm -hmm. So if you gather a group and you say the purpose of this group is to um, communicate respectfully, like why, like what right. are you actually doing together? Mm -hmm. um, because when it gets tough, when it gets uncomfortable, you're going to want to leave. What's going to keep you yep. there? 
Well, one thing that'll keep you there is that you care so much about what the group wants to accomplish that you're going to stay and you're going to make the ego sacrifices necessary, mm-hmm. uh, including the sacrifice of certainty, hmm. including the sacrifice of being right and looking smart and looking right to the group because you care about something else. So fundamentally, this is about reconnecting to our care, hmm. what we care about in the world and why we're here in the world beyond ourselves. And, and, and this is at the center of the healing of our collective story. Why are we here? This has ramifications for business too, of course. Why are you here? Are you here to maximize your return on investment? Is that really why you're here? Mm-hmm. To die as rich as possible? as safe as possible, as comfortable as possible. No, you are here to create something in the world that's meaningful. You are here to contribute to life and beauty on earth. And every form of human creativity, including business, ultimately wants to express that. When we connect to that, then the courage because if you care about that more than you care about your reputation or more than you care about being right mm-hmm. uh, or having been right all along, then you're going to be willing to sacrifice your correctness and your, your image mm-hmm. on the altar of this thing you care about even more. So fundamentally, it is connecting with uh, a purpose as narrated by a new story. Because the old story says, yeah, you're here to maximize rational Mm self-interest or reproductive self-interest if you're a biologist. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's not why we're here. And when we reconnect to that as a group and and discover the expression of our purpose of contributing to life and beauty on earth in a a group enterprise, then we have the motivation Mm -hmm. to stay with it in this uncomfortable process. You're having me think about how uncertainty in a way, um, not forces, but it just highlights uh, purpose. Because when we have uncertainty in around us, we have to feel into like, why am I really doing this? Why am I really here? What's this about? And it just really highlights that for us in, in a way I wasn't thinking about before. Um, that there's a relationship between uncertainty and that kind of chiseling away at what is my purpose with this whole, how do I make purpose or meaning out of COVID? out of the election cycle, out of my relationship right now, whatever that might look like. Yeah. I, I, I also think, uh, sorry, if I may, I think um, the way I've dealt with uncertainty, because this is about personal, you talked about your personal um, situation when you were being attacked and how you deal with it, right, um, uh, Charles? And then Rick and I, of course, have, have you know, we put, put this together because we've been through various sort of experiences in our lives as well. But I think uncertainty for me is always is also about not overthinking um, an issue. I think let's say there's financial uncertainty as what was one um, category of uncertainty. Um, if it's out of your control, because a lot of stuff is out of your control. I mean, you first have to accept that you're not some messiah and you can fix everything. And just because you're active and involved, it's suddenly going to sort itself out because the reality is that there's a lot more out of your control than there's within your control. And learning to accept and understand the difference between what's in your control, which is actually what you can affect somehow, and saying, well, I can't do anything about the elections, frankly. It's way beyond way beyond my control. But I can certainly think about 
what the way I want to live my life and what my purpose is and what my what gives me meaning. Uh, is it time with my family, my friends? Is it doing straight talk dot live or whatever it may be? I think focusing on what you can control and thinking about that is way more important than thinking about what you can't control and overanalyzing it, which talks to the question that Sonia just came up with or the statement, the di which is verbatim, the difficulty I'm finding is how to discern which information sources are truthful and neutral. And we've come to the conclusion with Mark Devine, one of the Navy, uh, Navy fantastic sort of command, Navy SEAL commander who came on the show. He said, okay, radical, he said, stop watching the news. He said, stop watching the news. Because unless you think it's making a material impact, a good impact to your life, what is it actually doing? Uh, as, as my friend Rick says, it's hijacking your amygdala. Um, and so I just wanted to make that final point for the last couple of minutes. But um, are there any other questions, Rick, that I haven't seen? There seem to be loads coming in. We're going to try and deal with all of them. There's one, uh, there's one coming from FB again. Do you, should yeah, I take yeah. that or do you want to take that? Yeah, sure. So Erin uh, Lim. Hello, Erin. I know Erin. Um, she remarks that uncertainty highlights purpose. I love this. Many companies during this time right now are doing the same thing. And that clarity trickles down from hiring to product development um, of just really this, how everything is changing every bloody second. Technology is changing every second. Um, and that's forcing that kind of coming back to purpose, coming back to creativity, to, to curiosity, and some of those inherent values that we're talking about today. That's one of her observations. So in the last three minutes, Charles, um, what something, something hope, something that's going to create hope for us all. What is the, um, I don't say whatever comes from your heart, but um, we all want some hope. We all want to feel like the future is going to be better for us whenever that happens. There's no timeline requirement here, but what, 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 what are your last few words for us in terms of how should we think about this world of uncertainty now? How should we, what's the practical stuff we can do after this call? When, I, when we click bye-bye, we shut the, the webinar down. What should I be thinking about when I've, when I've moved away from this? Uh, the last few words from Charles. I mean, I like Mark Devine's su suggestion, uh, stop watching the news. I periodically go through a news fast mm -hmm. uh, because underneath, you know, like I was talking before about visiting the opponent's camp or heterodox territory, um, mm -hmm. not just your side's version of what they're saying, but actually to go into their realm. Mm -hmm. uh, however, on another level, even the spectrum of opinions that we are presented is itself a kind of a programming. Because mm -hmm. what about the opinions that were not presented? Like, is the way to figure out the world to gather the kind of information that is um, valued as information by our um, institutions, uh, yeah. our mm -hmm. government institutions, our social institutions, even social media? Um, or is there information that only becomes available to us when we pull back from those conventional information sources? What kind of information becomes available if mm. you um, spend your time with your hands in the soil mm -hmm. or spend your time in meditation or spend your time um, with children? Mm. Uh, like people who do that know something that you cannot learn through media, conventional media. 
and I think that that if we are to source genuine hope, um, we have to access information and capacities that are beyond what we're familiar with already. Despair comes from the limitations that we have accepted um, about what we can know and what we can do. Mm. Within that domain, the situation is hopeless. But the hopelessness depends on accepting that as the only domain possible. Mm -hmm. So um, this is uh, another kind of an uncertainty. Like what, what becomes available when we step away from the familiar? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, so that, um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it, leave it, leave it at that for the moment. I love that. It just reminds me of the multidimensionalness of our nature and not just tuning into one channel whether that's the media or whatever way we get information, but just through having that more well-rounded experiential uh, relationship with life. So Charles, even though we've navigated the unknown, I knew it would be good with you. So thank you for uh, being on Straight Talk Live again. Always a pleasure to have you here. And just for our audience, where can people find out more about your work, your writings, your videos, et cetera? Well, you could uh, look on the internet. Uh, it's there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a wide landscape. <laughs> uh, yeah, charleseisenstein.org is my website. Uh, and you can take it from there. Fantastic. Yeah. Charles, thank you again so much for being on our show. Wonderful. Always a pleasure. And just to remind the audience, next week, um, we're going to have another return guest, um, Lisa Dion. And she's going to be another very impertinent topic right now. How do you actually manage conflict? And what are real tools for dealing with difficult conversations. That's something I think we could all uh, learn from very timely again. So again, thank you, Charles. Always a pleasure. And everyone out there, uh, may this help you uh, navigate uncertainty in your lives and give you a little more courage to lean into that. Thanks, Rick. Straight Thank Talk Livers, over and out.